As you know, there are three primary elements to teaching. We have the teacher, and we have the student, <clears throat> and today we're going to really focus on this middle thing. It's the uh, curriculum. Uh, I've been in some very academic circles, and I've heard people pronounce it curriculum. <laughs> so I'd like you all to try that once. That was every bit as bad as mine. <laughs> Where I grew up, they call it the stuff. The stuff that's being taught. What, what are you teaching? Whether it's a um, dairy farmer out on the uh, uh, planter uh, explaining to his son uh, the design of that, the necessity of it, the spacing of that, the quality of that. The questions that the son will ask, the questions that the dad will answer and ask, takes a teacher, takes a student, but today we focus on the stuff. In 1 Timothy, we have identified that God has assigned Paul to be the teacher in chapter 1. And he is investing in and teaching the student, Timothy. And in the teaching process over the years, they've developed a system of logic that involves the five W's, the questions that begin with W. They are, that's it. And then uh, <clears throat> along the way, they discover there's another question and would probably like to have had a W word for it, but it ends up, they ended up with another H word. And what is that? How? Who, what, where, when, why, and how? <clears throat> it was interesting to me to see that um, men of logic, philosophers, have over the years developed a system of learning that says... Uh, Lay it out with these five W's. Bible instructors have been instructed in a thing called exegesis, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S, which is nothing but going to the scripture as we are today and addressing the five W's. And if you're able to accurately answer those, you've done a good job of your exegesis. The courtroom has done its job if they have the accurate answers to the five W's. And so we look at today at a system of five W's, the stuff that Paul has instructed Timothy to be about. Last uh, time we preached, we looked at verses 1 and 2. Today, we'll look at 3 through 11. Next week, um, Dr. Martin will run us beginning with verse 12. So we'll be reading ahead. It'll be a great thing to do as a family. Sit around the dining room table. Read 1 Timothy 1 together. As I urged you when, there's a W. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, and so this will help Timothy, the reader, to be able to pinpoint when this went down. 
As I urge you then to remain in Ephesus, and if you'd like a good background to this church in Ephesus, I recommend you spend time in the book of Acts, chapters 18, 19, and 20, as well as Revelation 1 and 2. And while you're there, remaining in Ephesus, student of mine, um, there's going to be some other teachers there. And I'm asking you to charge that they teach no other doctrine. That would be the curriculum. That would be the stuff. Run down to verse 10, would you please? We're going to see the word doctrine there as well. And here there's an adjective for it. Not just any old doctrine, but sound doctrine. We have a a phrase saying something like, well, here we are all safe and... Why do we use that word? It's a good word. I remember writing a dune buggy one time. We got back and he said, well, here we are all safe and sand. The soundness is a purity. It's right. It's accurate. It's true. Don't be teaching other stuff. I charge you, Timothy, to teach them, the other teachers. Nor give heed to, Greek word for the next word is muthos, should sound like myths, fables, Now, we've all enjoyed learning Mary Had a Little Lamb and uh, taking rides with Aesop and Zeus. But to give heed to myths and endless genealogies. Who's your mom? Most of us can answer that, not all. Well, who's her mom? Uh, We're a little less schooled, many of us, on that one. And when we get to her mom's mom, we're kind of losing it. But the thing is being instructed to avoid, um, and I see the Mormon church dealing with endless genealogies, uh, for the record of seeing who can be baptized for who, uh, for reasons that the Word of God says aren't valid anyway. And part of my responsibility is to expose that kind of error, that kind of false teaching. The Mormons that I know, I love. And I grieve for the false teaching. Don't give heed. Isn't that what he says in verse 4? Don't give heed to this stuff. And then it gives us a, a why. Because it generates disputes instead of godly Edification. This word godly in verse 4 is used in the reverse in verse 9 where it says, for the ungodly. So what's godly and ungodly? Basically means if you're ungodly, you are godless, without fear and reverence for God. It doesn't mean irreligious, a lot of religion around. 
but it means one who actively practices the opposite of what the fear of God demands. Do you get the feeling sometimes that there's an evil out there that reads the Word of God, and if the Word of God says this, then they do the opposite? It's almost like they're fueling off of that. What's right about anything we can think of? Well, then let's do the opposite. That's ungodly. So, Timothy, here's the stuff we have to avoid. Avoid stuff that's just fables and endless genealogies because it just creates disputes. Rather than this really, really good thing that teaching should be all about. Godly edification, which is in faith. I remind you that the word edify is a word that combines two words, the first of which is a word for house. And the Greek word for house is oikos. Please say that so I know you're all awake and tuned in. It's getting cooler in here, isn't it? Thank you for whoever's doing that. Uh, Mr. Shaneman, it is great to see you. And I mean great. Yeah, well, I love what the Lord Jesus is doing in you, Buster. Uh, this, this is why the candle was lit last week, incidentally. So we're pretty thrilled to see what God's doing there. Um, so it's a house term. Oikos. Say it again, please. Oikos. Okay, now, if you figure it out, let me know why there's advertisement on TV for a Greek yogurt that they call Oikos. Why on earth anybody would name yogurt house is beyond me. But the word edification is a combination of the word house and a word for build or build up. House building. Scripture asks some interesting questions like, who's greater, the house or the house builder? And clearly, it's the builder of the house. The house is subject to design and structure and sweat. The word edify is a word that means build up. So what phrase or word can you think of in our generation that we use to speak the opposite of build up? Tear down. I hear that one all the time. Have you ever been torn down? As someone looked in the eye and used words, and in the end, the opposite of building up has taken place. In the end, there's been no edification. There's been no house building. For the record, the other house word that's used in Scripture comes to do with house managing. Okay, the house is up. We're all functioning uh, let's let's keep the air conditioner on. Let's pay the bills. And that's called house managing. And the word for that is the word steward. Remember the scripture that says, Moreover, brethren, is required in a steward, a what? A house manager, that a man be found faithful. I think that's why we can be so grateful for our deacons here. 
they're about the business of noticing that it's hot and they go to serve and make sure that the fan's on. That's house managing. Timothy, here's the stuff that you're to be about. Teach the stuff that causes godly edification, which is in faith. And then in verse 5, he gives us another why kind of word, the purpose. And if I would have a criticism of the generation that's um, uh, around that college age these days, it's, it's they live without purpose. Why are you living? What is your goal Where are you headed? What's your purpose in life and living? And it describes that the purpose of one of these things that I think makes up the stuff, the doctrine, is commandment. Now the purpose of the commandment, what is that? This doesn't refer in this case to those ten that were etched on clay tablets atop of Mount Sinai. Jesus made very clear to Peter and to Paul, and now Paul to Timothy, what the greatest of the commandments was and is, which is that you love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart and all your strength. And then he came up with number two. He says just like that. The second of the great commandments is that you love the person you're sitting beside, the person you're sitting in front of, behind. Well, not everybody. (laughs) I saw those looks. (laughs) Those are the biggies. Those are the commands that you love. He called it a new commandment and then referred to it as the old commandment. Timothy, here's the deal. When you teach this stuff, aim for godly edification, which is in faith, belief, trusting. Because the purpose of the commandment, the stuff you teach, is love. From these three things. Love from a pure heart. Love from a good conscience. And love from a sincere faith. From which some have strayed. I love that phrase, strayed. We have a stray cat that visits our house. And it's gotten about one bird too many to suit me. Now I don't know what to do. So Joe says we got a cure for that. So... Maybe the birds will survive because I value the birds over the cat because it's not my cat. 
So what do I do? Do I go find out whose cat it is? Do I get a slingshot? Do I... Whatever do I do? Point is, he doesn't belong in my house. He's a stray. And since I get that, I can maybe kind of get what's going on here. Timothy, the purpose of this love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith because somebody's kind of straying away from that. And maybe that's the point of application this morning. Do you know what sound doctrine is? Do you know how to tell truth from something that's a little off truth? Do you have the capacity? Or are you feeding on other stuff? Are you straight? Are you devoting your time and your energy to fables and stuff that creates disputes? I can't believe how many people just love to argue. One of the things I avoid on the Internet is a thing called blogs. Uh, I think there are some very well intended and very well thought out, but they all take time. And, and the little short guys are the ones where you don't know who's writing it, and they can say anything they want. What a sad commentary. So should we make a law against blogs? How do you orchestrate and legislate honor, morality. As long as you got a proclaiming front and a teaching front, Timothy, love from a pure heart's where we're headed. And some have strayed from that. And there's kind of a test for the stray. Do you see that in verse 6? What's kind of the test for having strayed? Uh, turn aside to, this one says, idle talk. I think that's what a lot of the blogs are, is idle talk. So that's the dilemma you're facing, Timothy. And there's people out there that desire to teach, and they'd like to be seen teaching, maybe even in the churches, teach the law neither understanding what they're saying or the things which they affirm. And I'm amazed at how much we feed on affirmation. Teachers in particular. It feels good when a student comes back and says, Hey, thanks. You done good with me. Done good, that's not what I taught you. I'm glad for the affirmation, but don't, don't say it that way. So, Timothy, you've got people out there who want to teach. They want to teach the law. They want to teach good stuff, but they don't understand it. And they don't even affirm that it's good. And then he makes a huge statement in verse 8. Please don't miss this. But we know that the law is good. And I would like to ask you to repeat that three times for me. The law is good. The law is good. The law is good. The law is good. Please don't ever forget that. You'll be around some church teachings perhaps someplace sometime. And it'll poo-poo the law. Oh, you know, we've got so much grace that the law is bad. 
Well, I understand what Hebrews and Galatians teaches about the law. The law is insufficient. The law is obsolete when it comes to salvation. I get that. But, Timothy, I want you to understand something. The law is good. If one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. That's intriguing. Well, then, who, there's another W, who is the law made for? Well, it's made for, and he gives us a list here, made for the lawless. Doesn't matter what the laws are. I don't care what they are. I don't want to know what they are. Doesn't matter. I'll do as I wish. An insubordinate. I have a boss. And my boss has assigned me, and I don't like my boss, and I don't like what he's assigned me, and I don't like what it's going to cost me, and I, I'm not going to do it. The law is made for the insubordinate. We already talked about what the godly is, and so here the law is made for the ungodly and for sinners. Let me toss out that one of the uh, questions we've been pondering in one of our classes in life is the question, is it possible to not sin? And the answer off the top of our head, of course not. Everybody's a sinner. If you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar, according to 1 John. And then we follow Jesus to the dirt. And I'm guessing he was right-handed. Wayne Mundell calls the other one hack-handed. And I'll let you have him explain why. Um, we call him Southpaws. But I picture Jesus with his right index finger doodling in a language that the peakers can read and comprehend. And they're the ones that have brought to him one that the law, which is good, found a woman to be dealing in pornea, sexual immorality. And when he's done, he asks her a question. Where are they? Her answer is interesting. And he called them accusers and he called them condemners. And he said, I don't condemn you. But what did he say next? Go and sin no more. What was he saying? Be goody-two-shoes? Be perfect? No. He said, stop practicing and doing that sexual immorality. That's what he was saying. And I believe it's possible, apparently, to stop it. Let him who stole steal no more, is what the Word of God says. Are you kidding me? I like to steal. I like having stuff I don't have to pay for. I like having stuff that's yours that I lust for. 
Let him who stole steal no more. It is possible to stop stealing. And surely we should. This love thing has been pretty intriguing. The church at Colossae, Paul's pen at the bidding of the Holy Spirit in chapter 3 of Colossians, addressed the believers, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, ding! If anyone has a complaint against one another, Anybody in your life you got a complaint against? I do. Even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And so apparently forgiveness is a great part of this. But they don't deserve it. And they're still wrong. But above all these things, here we are again, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Very quickly, the Old Testament teaches that blood covers sin. That's what atonement is. In the New Testament, the pen of Peter, through the bidding of the Holy Spirit, says, love covers a multitude of sin. I am persuaded that blood is a God-given parable, a God-given metaphor, a God-given analogy for love because what blood does to the body love does to the body it penetrates every cell every cell requires the blood to exist and to grow and to eliminate as does the body need love to do all of the same stuff. And that the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. Bingo. See, Josh made it back from... Uh, Dr. Lacey said he saw you shoving down the hallway this morning because he was negligent, didn't teach a Sunday school class. Josh, why don't you stand? Stand. Because <laughs> he got called and he was off doing x-rays. And so he shares with me yesterday, you know, I was doing some x-rays and doing some study on bone density and... I just got to thinking about the bones and where they come from and their function and how they're designed. And so looking at a, an x-ray, the teaching of the Psalms began to overwhelm him. I loved to hear him describe how that produced in him worship. So may I teach you in some psalms right now? May I admonish you right now in some psalms? Here's one, Psalm 46. 
Be still and know that I am God. And I believe that takes place when you're looking at an x-ray of bones. And I believe that takes place when I'm out there angry at the cat over the birds. I believe that that takes place when you're cooking. I believe that takes place when you're growing bones in your womb. Be still. Time out. And know that I am God. Wow. How did Paul come up with that? The Spirit of God breathed it into him and through him. Or how about this psalm? You formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. There's a little girl whose inward parts, her bones, are being formed in Macau. Right now. And that little girl is covered in my mother's wombs. That's what blood does for sin. That's what love does for sin. And that's what God does in the womb. He covers. And, and the very next thing is, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. How can you see stuff that doesn't even exist? When you're God, you are worthy of the praise. Be still and know that I am God. We're supposed to teach that way. So, Timothy, here's your stuff. The purpose of the commandment is love. The law is good. The law is made for sinners, lawless, ungodly, unholy, profane, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. There's some murders that seem to break my heart more than others. And when I read or watch a television account of a young person that has murdered their father or their mother, for manslayers, manslaughter. I'm so grieved to, to read of what you have had to deal with in terms of a young man <clears throat> influenced by outside substance, surrounded by people and riotous kinds of thinking, traveling at 99 miles an hour in a small community losing control so that the Star Herald can publish memorial accounts of two young ladies just a few days ago. For fornicators, that's the word pornea, sexual immorality. That is a cancer in society and in the church. Sodomites, Without being too graphic, it's a very simple concept. A man in bed with a man. 
doing that which Romans 1 says is unseemly. And the dictionaries of the Bible call that homosexuality. For kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. What's the difference between a liar and a perjurer? Well, a liar, according to the Word of God, is one with an eye toward God, is a false eye. It looks at God falsely. It sees Him and it says of Him that which is not true. That's a liar. A perjurer in the courtroom is one who has taken an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then lies. And they are a false witness. They are perjurer. And they're on the list. And not only that, but a big broad sweep. Not all those individual lawbreakers, because the law is good and it's made for those who do all this stuff. And anything else that's contrary to sound doctrine, the stuff. Timothy, the stuff you teach is crucial. And he summarizes by saying, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The glorious gospel is different than the one listed out in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. It's kind of that uh, straying thought. From him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And it's the gospel of Christ that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that. For it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who will believe it. The gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so I now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, to these Galatians, than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And this question, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And that's who Paul says he is when he talks to the young man. I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I have been committed from God to my trust. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. Did you hear anything this morning? Do you get this? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? When you die, are you going to heaven? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Or are you unsure? Are you straying? Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, thank you for this place, this time. Thank you for this instruction. Thank you for the curriculum. Thank you for the stuff that's from you. Thank you for committing that to Paul, to Timothy, to people in Ephesus, to people in Macedonia, Scott's Bluff. Father, I come to you with someone in the room who in their heart had to say, no, I'm not sure. I'd like to come to you with them right now. I'd like to 
ask you to hear my prayer. I pray with them, whoever that is in this room, Lord, it's me. I'm the one who's not so sure. And I thank you for writing in your word that these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I thank you that you've made it possible for us to know that when we die, we're going to be in your presence. We trust you. We worship you. I invite you into my heart. Cleanse me. I am the sinner for whom Jesus died. The law required the death for sin. Your son died for me. I'd like to thank you right here and now. And I thank you, too, that I can know from this moment forward, this last Sunday of July 2013, I am yours. Father, I know you want to work a work. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for our next pastor. I thank you for this pulpit. I thank you for the promise that you've given to the proclamation of truth. Guard this pulpit, guard this church for years and years and years from any false teaching or teachers. We pray and trust in Jesus' name. Amen.